Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. In recent weeks, sexual misconduct and abuse in the AIDS sector has led the front pages of British newspapers, including The Guardian. I'm deeply ashamed about Oxfam's behaviour than everybody, the 25,000 staff and volunteers, are compromised by this. The hundreds of thousands of people who support Oxfam every month are compromised by this, and to everybody I do apologise. We will not tolerate sexual harassment anytime, anywhere. And we will continue to change the dynamics and put greater power into the hands of women to prevent and end sexual harassment and all abuse of power in the UN. Becky Radcliffe has been working on the story, starting with uncovering allegations of abuse within the UN. I'm Lucy Lamble, and this is the Global Development Podcast. When we first agreed to talk uh, for this podcast, it was off the back of the work, obviously, you've been doing on on harassment and and worse within the UN. And since then, we've had all these revelations affecting Oxfam and and other NGOs. Is there more to come? I think there is. Um, The Oxfam allegations are incredibly shocking and they've really sort of dominated the news agenda over the past few days. But... A lot of people within the AIDS sector have said that, you know, Oxfam's not alone and some of them have voiced concerns that Oxfam is going to be a sort of scapegoat and that other agencies will sort of sit tight and keep their heads down and hope that Oxfam takes all the flack and that um, no one looks too closely at what they're doing. Over the weekend, there were further reports in the Sunday Times saying that more than 120 workers from British charities have been accused of sexual abuse in the past year. So it's just the tip of the iceberg and there's more cases out there. So, Becky, you've been working for the last few months on this big story involving misconduct within the UN. Could you just outline the story for us? Yeah, of course. So I spent sort of months talking to lots of current UN employees or former employees who had experienced sexual harassment or assault in offices around the world and it was across a range of UN agencies. But yeah, I mean, we spoke to lots of people who had experienced sexual harassment and assault. The vast majority hadn't reported or some had attempted to report it and had been told, you know, don't bother doing so. And those who had reported had experienced retaliation Three of the women within the last year who we spoke to had um, been threatened with termination of contract or had basically been shoved out because they dared to report. And, you know, that included assaults as well as harassment. And what was the picture that you were piecing together? It was a really depressing one. It wasn't very hard at all to find people who'd experienced really horrific harassment and assault. And... There was a picture of just this whole culture of silence and this completely sort of dysfunctional power structure within the UN where you can't challenge certain people. And if you dare to even speak out, then, you know, your contract's over. And it was really about power and the misuse of power and a complaint system that is completely stacked against victims where you just don't stand a chance. And, you know, 
it takes such immense courage to report something and that even when you do so you're given no support you know in, there were cases where people who'd gone through really horrific things weren't even given proper counseling within within a decent amount of time and it was just at every point they were let down so what was the reaction like we had a response from the UN that they came out and said that they had a zero tolerance policy on um, sexual harassment and assault and they um, outlined various things that they're doing such as they've introduced a high level task force which is supposed to be tackling this and they've set up a hotline and they've taken various steps. They also wrote a letter to The Guardian in which they said that the UN does not prevent victims of sexual violence who are employed by the UN from speaking out. A lot of people question that. Do you still believe in the UN mission? Um, yeah, I think the UN does amazing work and there are so many... That What's heartbreaking is that there are so many people working at the UN who are incredibly committed to um, the work that they do and the problem is the the power structures there, which is, you know, dysfunctional and the fact that there isn't support for people who report concerns. So what should organisations be doing better, both at the level of recruiting and with handling complaints? Well, I think Oxfam announced a series of changes that they've um, introduced, which includes better um, whistleblower protection. And they've also changed their recruitment process. I think they've said that they now expect two references when they're employing someone. Across the sector, there are serious problems with recruitment. And it's partly just because of the nature of the work. People are often on short-term contracts. It's not unusual for someone to be working somewhere for a very short period of time, whereas in other sectors that might raise eyebrows. And I think the sector as a whole needs to do better reference checks. I mean, one of the most shocking things from the Haiti story was that individuals involved went on to go and get jobs elsewhere. And part of So how do you screen? If you're a recruiter, how do you screen for this if you can't actually find a criminal uh, record? Well, yeah, if people haven't the, been caught. Well, there has to be, there has to be, you have to rely on proper references and multiple references. And you shouldn't be allowing someone to have a dignified exit if they have been found to be committing wrongdoing. You know, one of the problems is that people often aren't held account for these crimes. And it's for a variety of reasons. The fact that often in the countries in which crimes are committed, there's no judicial system. The UN as an organisation has immunity. A lot of its senior managers have either functional immunity or complete immunity. There is very little support for whistleblowers and whistleblowers within the UN who have reported these kinds of things always face retaliation of some kind. And as a result, they get covered up. The UK government's response, uh, particularly in relation to Oxfam, has been very much about concern for impact on beneficiaries and uh, obviously misappropriation of funds. And and that hasn't been the issue in this case. Do do you think they're pressing the right buttons? Um, Well, I think there's a danger. I mean, I I mentioned earlier, I think there's a danger that Oxfam will be scapegoated and that there will be too much emphasis on one charity rather than improving policies across the sector. And I mean, obviously, cutting funding isn't the answer. If anything, more funding needs to be dedicated to ensuring that there are proper structures in place to make sure this kind of thing doesn't go unchecked. Oxfam's mentioned setting up a a safeguarding team specifically in response to what happened in Haiti. And they've also changed their code of conduct. Do do you think that being asked actively to sign something when you take on a a, a contract saying that you won't uh, behave inappropriately uh, will make a difference? 
Um, well, it certainly won't do any harm. <laughs> I think I think it will because what's you know what is quite surprising is that it wasn't against the rules. Um, it was only in two thousand and eleven that transactional sex was was included as something that's prohibited on the code of conduct. And I think that that strengthens the position of whistleblowers because they can then you know go to a senior manager and say, well, it's set out clearly that this shouldn't be going on, and it gives them a reason to report. Where does this leave the public? It's public money often that the NGOs are spending, whether it's been donated individually or, or, or through the government. Well, there is, a, you know, there are lots of there are lots of voices in the UK calling for aid funding to be cut, and I think Oxfam will surely be under pressure now to prove to the public that it's taking these complaints seriously. The UK spends thirteen billion on foreign aid each year, and NGOs need to come out and prove to the British public that they're spending it wisely and that they're, you know, not letting staff act in this way. So recently we've seen journalists digging uh, away at these stories and a lot has come out. But actually, the aid sector itself had started to ask itself awkward questions, hadn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, one really prominent campaigner is uh, Megan Nobert, who is a survivor of sexual violence. She was drugged and raped whilst working in South Sudan and she came out and spoke publicly about what happened to her, which was incredibly brave. In her case, her assaulter worked for a subcontractor employed by a UN agency and the agency technically had no responsibility for the actions of the employees of its vendors. She came out and wrote about this and she set up a NGO called Report the Abuse, which was the first NGO to really shed a light on these issues. And it offered lots of support to humanitarians who had encountered sexual violence. Very sadly, it um, ran out of funding this year and has now closed. Responding to humanitarian disasters is, is a fundamental and uh, it's something that UK has previously been quite proud of, of, of delivering well on, on the ground. If young people are coming up to you now and saying, should I get involved in humanitarian work? Should I work for the UN? What, what advice would you give? Oh, I think absolutely, because all of this, the reports that have come out are shocking, but it's good that they're now finally coming to the surface. This has been going on for a long time. It's a sign that things will have to change and charities and the UN can't continue like this. That's it for this edition. You can read more about Becky's work on The Guardian's website. We'll be starting a brand new podcast series shortly. More on that soon. I'm Lucy Lamble. The producer is Gabriella Jones. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian... Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.